0: Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on The Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa.
1: And I'm Allison.
0: Now around here, it's starting to feel a bit more like spring. Whether round that-
1: about these parts.
0: Round about these parts. And that's whether whether that's warm spring weather or flowers in bloom, or in some of our cases, the worst spring snowstorms that you can imagine.
1: <laughs> Whatever your weather is, we hope you find some way to enjoy it. But as such, we wanted to pay homage to the season with an iconic piece. And yes, you guessed it, it is Vivaldi's Spring Violin Concerto, also known as the Violin Concerto in E major, RV 269.
0: And if after today you'd actually like to hear more of Vivaldi's season's music, tune into episode 32 for the Fall Concerto. So, without further ado, let's spring right in. <laughs>
1: Antonio Vivaldi was born in 1678 in Venice, Italy, and of course he took on the family business. His father was a violinist, and so young Antonio became one as well. And music, particularly the violin, was very well suited for Vivaldi, for he actually suffered from an unknown lung disease his entire life. So really a wind instrument would have been difficult for him.
0: During this time, musicians had few choices for employment they could find a patron, or they could join the church. Vivaldi chose the latter, and after years of training, he was ordained as a priest in 1703. He gained the awesome nickname, the Red (laughs) Priest, because of his red hair. Now apparently, this was not actually his choice to become a priest, but rather a family financial choice as his schooling for the priesthood was free.
1: Soon after being ordained, Vivaldi was appointed to the Pio Ospedale della Pieta, which is an orphanage, and that was to pass on his education to those less fortunate. Here, he composed for and taught orphan girls. His resulting orchestra often put on showcases of his music for religious services and for visiting foreign nobility.
0: But Vivaldi had bigger dreams than just the Ospedale. In his free time, he worked on operas, and in 1713 premiered his first, the Otone in Via. His fame further extended as he began publishing some of his works, including chamber sonatas, and many of his concertos were being played outside of the Ospedale Orchestra.
1: Surprisingly, Vivaldi's music found high praise in Germany, Apparently, J.S. Bach, of course, another church musician, loved the concertos and actually transcribed them to be playable on his instrument of choice, the keyboard. In 1777, Vivaldi moved from Venice to Mantua for a career move. He had landed a job as the Kapellmeister for Landgrave Philips von Hessen Darmstadt, a lesser nobleman who was quite fond of music.
0: Lesser noble, greater name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the lesser you are, the more names you must have. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think some of the greater nobles had very big names.
0: Indeed. <laughs> Here he provided various types of works, mostly of the vocal variety, while he was in this post. After two years, his post with Van Hesschen Darmstadt expired, but Vivaldi continued traveling and writing works commissioned by international patrons. Due to his excellent teaching skills, He still retained his post at the Ospedale with the requirement that he send them two concertos per month to perform. By
1: 1725, Vivaldi had mastered the operatic genre with a rate of about two operas per year being premiered. He also really filled his role as a master of the string concerto during this time. In 1725, he published his Opus 8 of Concertos, jointly titled The Trial of Harmony and Invention.
0: That sounds like a Zelda dungeon.
1: <laughs> okay, Mr. Nerdy Video Game Master.
0: Maybe Vivaldi was the Nerdy Video Game Master. <laughs> it's kind of what it's looking like, honestly.
1: He is the ultimate boss that you must fight. <laughs> the Red Priest, of course, Yes! <laughs> Yes, see? (laughs) He obviously is, okay. Yeah. (laughs) He is a video game master. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, this collection included four of his most famous works, which is in fact the Four Seasons Concertos, which we are looking at one of today.
0: Coming soon after this publication, Vivaldi successfully tried his hand at composing for wins, with several lovely flute concertos as well. During the 1730s, Vivaldi traveled extensively around Europe. He liked to be intimately involved with the production of his opera premieres, no matter where they took place.
1: That's a good excuse to travel.
0: Absolutely, I wish I had some opera premieres. (laughs) By this time, though, Vivaldi was publishing less and less, but that's not to say that he quit composition. Apparently, he was a shrewd businessman and found that he made more money by selling manuscript versions of his works on commission, rather than going through a publishing company.
1: In 1740, Vivaldi returned to Venice from his travels only to find it in economic ruins. And this simply would not do. So after nearly 40 years of service, he finally resigned from his post at the Ospedale and went to Vienna, where his patron was Charles VI.
0: This could have been a smart move had it not been for what Vivaldi described as an internal fire, meaning his bronchial disease he had struggled with since childhood. He died from an attack of this disease in 1741. So now let's move on to the music with the Spring Violin Concerto from Vivaldi's Four Seasons. This is a three-movement concerto with the typical fast-slow-fast movement structure.
1: The entirety of The Seasons was written sometime around 1720, and the manuscript was then published in 1725. Though the pieces were written for Vivaldi's students, the publication actually has a dedication to Count Wenzel von Mortzen, a distant Bohemian patron who somewhat supported Vivaldi from this distance and actually greatly admired his works.
0: Now, there has been much debate about The Seasons concerti. At one point, Vivaldi had stated, quote, there is only music, as a general statement that music should stand on its own. Yet, with the seasons, he actually wrote sonnets about each season to accompany the works and includes the poem lines in the music, thus making the works programmatic, or telling a story through music.
1: And so some people might say that that is hypocritical, But honestly we're just glad to have gotten some great music as a result
0: indeed we are
1: (laughs) so here is the text that the music is referencing
0: spring has arrived and joyfully the birds greet her with glad song while at zephyr's breath the streams flow forth with a sweet murmur her chosen heralds thunder and lightning come to envelop the air in a black cloak once they have fallen silent the little birds return anew to their melodious songs. Then, on the pleasant flower-bedecked meadow, to the happy murmur of fronds and plants, the goatherd sleeps next to his trusty dog. To the festive sound of rustic bagpipes, nymphs and shepherds dance beneath the beloved sky at the glorious appearance of spring.
1: Oh, so picturesque. That's it lovely. is. That's <laughs> lovely. So, the first movement of the Spring Concerto starts with the whole accompanying ensemble playing what is called the ritornello. And this means that it's basically just music that's not featuring the soloist. Vivaldi's writing throughout the Spring Concerto alternates between ritornello and the solo featuring sections.
0: Also, since there's a lot of repetition throughout, ensembles generally use dynamic contrast. Here, the ensemble begins forte, repeats in piano, and then turns it back up to forte. When we finally hear the soloist come in, the violin is meant to imitate the joyful bird song. Other accompanying ensemble violins join in to add more texture for the whole violin bird flock.
1: The next ritornello has a quick recap of what we've heard before, and then switches into some new material to evoke the bubbling brook referenced in the sonnet. The harmonies are slow to change. Obviously, this is not a roaring river. And soon the note lengths get even slower. Perhaps now the observer of the stream has turned their eyes to the sky to see clouds slowly drifting by with the sonnets mentioned zephyr. But that zephyr doesn't stay peaceful for long. There are some little gusts that blow the tree branches and new leaves all around.
0: The solo interjection here is much more technical, oscillating around notes furiously. And by the end, we switch into a minor mode. The next ritornello is our familiar material, but now in the minor mode that the soloist has taken us to.
1: The solo violin comes back in in an almost mournful way with long, connected, upward notes. What has happened to make our bird song so sad?
0: A thunderstorm.
1: Oh my.
0: Here, as the soloists sustained a trilled note on their line, another violinist comes in with a mimicked upward scale. This combination creates some fun dissonance between the moving and sustained notes.
1: solo sounds like it's going to continue with the morose, but instead we get a quick modulation via the circle of fifths to get back into a major key. And the soloist follows suit. This next bit of solo is some of the more melodic playing we've heard so far, rather than just scalar and technical patterns. And the whole movement ends with one final ritornello to recap the start of the piece.
0: On now to the second movement. As expected in this structure, the tone of this piece is laid back, and we actually start in a minor key right away. Also, there is no ritornello this time, just some pulsing harmonies in the background while the soloist gets to showcase their virtuosity.
1: This movement is referencing the part of the sonnet talking about the sleepy goat herd, and his dog. The first downward notes of the solo violin could be in reference to his calls to his goats just before falling into a heat-induced slumber. Though the harmonies in this piece are fairly straightforward, through the use of ornamentation the performer can add interest to these standard progressions. Here we are going around the circle of fifths, as we know so well, and we know what that next resolution should be. And we do land there, but also throw in a little decorative passage that is kind of like a slow turn, meaning that we go one note lower and one note higher than our tonic note before resolving again.
0: But it's not all circle of fifth. Here we get some tension by modulation to the major fifth, which is a G-sharp, coming from C-sharp, but the soloist is moving in just an upward chromatic movement, which makes this normal progression sound dissonant. The second half of this movement is basically a decorated repetition of the first part. It's a very sleepy time for a goat herd and his dog. <laughs>
1: And then we reach our final movement, subtitled Danza Pastoral. It does start out rather more dance-like than the preceding two movements. And we start out again with the loud to soft repeated ritornello.
0: Now it's a pity that much of Vivaldi's works had fallen out of favor before being rediscovered in the 1900s, otherwise we may have been able to demonstrate this piece as an inspiration to Beethoven for his Pastoral Symphony No. (laughs) 6. But maybe there's something to be said for the evocative nature of nice weather and gathering for folk dances that is just timeless. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we don't need any Baroque inspiration for our Beethoven. He can come up with it on his own. The soloist then enters this movement with more of an introductory phrase than a technical flourish. Because that part comes next. As the soloist dances around, listen here as the bass line moves downward chromatically. This part is interesting because it is really just the bass and soloist playing, unlike the other times we've heard the soloist actually having exchanges between other violinists within the orchestra.
0: However, we do get that back and forth kind of thing with the upper strings in the next solo break. This time, the other violins are giving punctuation to the ends of the soloist phrases, rather than giving responses to them. This movement of the piece is also described in the sonnet as the nymphs dancing to bagpipes. Bagpipes can create a very loud, sustained note, And we have that mimicked here with the violinists sustaining the drone under little flourishing passages.
1: Uh, Of course, something we haven't yet mentioned is the Baroque's love of sequencing. And here is a prime example. Not only do we get one sequence, but we also get tricked into thinking there will be two repeated sequences – before that harmony is actually changed in the second repetition to take us back home.
0: And we get some great modulations in the ritornello section, starting with a drastic change to minor. And included in this, we get some circle to fifths action, with the bass instruments getting a chance finally to play the melody.
1: The next solo section is almost like a cadenza played over a single drone bass note. The performer here actually is choosing some excellent notes to highlight, aka the dissonant notes that are in the lines that Vivaldi has written, but it really brings out those harmonic differences. Yet again, we end with our Ritornello theme.
0: Vivaldi has done an excellent job here of creating a scene of spring with music. However, I don't know about you, Allison. I don't know that it describes our spring experience quite that accurately.
1: And what do you mean by that?
0: Well, I have not seen any shepherds or goat herds in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. <laughs> what I have seen is
1: quite a bit of snow. Oh heavens. Well, I suppose in that case, you're still maybe encountering the Zephyrs, just being maybe a bit more dramatic than Vivaldi described here. Indeed,
0: some angry (laughs) Zephyrs are are bringing dramatic weather changes.
1: (laughs) Well, I can tell you for one thing, I try to avoid experiencing bagpipes in my springtime festivities.
0: (laughs) Ah, yes, bagpipes, definitely more of a fall activity.
1: Or maybe a never time activity. <laughs> I'm sorry if we have any bagpipe listeners. Maybe it's, we'll do an episode okay. on the bagpipes They'll... to redeem ourselves.
0: They can they can join whoever else. I think we've we've angered the euphonists and the saxophones at this point.
1: I think um, percussionists too.
0: Yeah, they can they can all band together and you can email we us are
1: like, alienating section upon section.
0: <laughs> yes. Go ahead and join the comments on our Instagram post. Tell us how much uh, tell us how much we need to uh, we need to change do some do some bagpipe feature episodes i think
1: <laughs> you know we just might
0: well thank you all for listening if you enjoyed what you heard please do consider sharing us with a friend colleague or family member who you think might enjoy your podcast go ahead and drop reviews on iTunes Spotify Google Play wherever it is that you get your podcasts all that good stuff and join us on Facebook Instagram those places as well
1: i think that's it i think those are the only places to think,
0: join us i think those are the only places to join us beyond the place that you're listening to us right now
1: <laughs> hooray okay let's for be the done coffee now house,
0: co- cl- 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 for the <laughs> coffee house classical music podcast i almost had it it was good and then it wasn't i'm asa
1: <laughs> and i'm allison thank you so much for listening Vivaldi's Concerto in E Major, RV 269, was performed by the Wichita State University Chamber Players with John Harrison, conducted by Robert Teriziani. You can find the Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.